Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Suzanne Blimson. Theresa May's Brexit plan has been voted down in the largest ever defeat for a government on a major piece of legislation. Less than a third of Parliament supported the deal. So what happens next? Shona Jenkins spoke to Henry Mance about the various options. So, Henry, what's the atmosphere like in Westminster today? Lots of MPs feel like they've won. You know, the huge majority of MPs who disliked Theresa May's deal, who wanted to vote against it, they've had their moment in the sun, and I think they're enjoying that. What there is also is not a clear sense of how things are going to progress. The government ministers who have come out so far have really been very vague on the kind of plan B that might emerge. And the people who voted against the government's deal they're still sticking to their guns. They're not saying, oh, we'll water down our request for a second referendum or we'll water down our request for a no-deal exit. Now, such a heavy defeat would normally prompt a government to rethink. Is there any sign of that? Yeah, it would probably normally cause a government to collapse and resign and force a general election, but that's probably not going to happen. The no-confidence vote today, Theresa May is expected to survive. But yeah, Theresa May said she'll rethink, she said she'll listen... The problem is that she's also said that her red lines are still in place. So Britain is still going to leave the single market. It would still leave the customs union. And that really goes against even the moderate view of you could have a Norway plus model. So I think it's not clear how far the government being in listening mode actually changes the dynamics. Is the government then likely now to cede more power to Parliament? And what are Parliament's options? Yeah, Parliament can take control of this. That's firstly because in the British political system, Parliament dominates, Parliament is sovereign. It's also because the Speaker, John Burko, has twisted the rules to make sure that the House of Commons has even more influence over what is debated and the form in which it is debated. So Theresa May has until Monday, January 21st, to come back with a plan B. So she will table some form of amended plan then, and MPs can then table their own amendments to that, which could potentially do anything, but what they're likely to try and do is to shape the process to maybe empower a committee of MPs or to try and extend Article 50 to give more time, and then there'll be a vote on that probably next week. And so you can see Parliament's really hand is now firmly sort of on the tiller and Theresa May cannot call upon a majority of MPs. Even after the 2017 election, she had a very narrow majority with the help of the Democratic Unionist Party. She's now annoyed both wings of her party and she really relies on quite a, a small group of moderate MPs who represent a third of the House of Commons. So In this atmosphere, could Mrs May be forced to cross red lines on a no deal or timing or the customs union? Yeah, I mean, I think most people in Westminster would say it's obvious she's going to have to tear up her red lines. It's obvious that Britain is going to have to seek an extension to Article 50, may well have to seek a permanent customs union, even stay in the single market, perhaps even hold a second referendum. The question is whether Theresa May is the person to do that. She does have a history of U-turns. I mean, she delayed a vote. She said she was going to hold in December. She held a general election in 2017, which she said she wasn't going to hold. But on these particular points relating to Brexit, on points of we must leave the single market because we need to have control of immigration, for example, she's been so insistent and even now after such a heavy defeat is not rowing back that it may just be that she's not the person to do it. So what's Labour's strategy? That's a great question in the sense of Labour has consistently annoyed its own MPs, some of its own members and voters with its strategy. And it's still not quite clear. Look, on paper, the Labour Party agreed at its annual conference 
to seek a general election if the deal was voted down and then to support all options that remained on the table, including a second referendum. Now, a general election is likely to be voted against today. The government will survive a confidence vote today. And so, on paper, Labour should move to supporting a second referendum. However, Jeremy Corbyn's strategy is a bit different. His strategy is to not seek a second referendum, which he thinks would be damaging to Labour's electoral chances, but to not take ownership of the Brexit process either. He doesn't want to be associated with a bad Brexit deal. What he really wants, some people suspect, is for some form of deal to go through Parliament, but for him not to have any of the responsibility for it. So if there was some kind of compromise arrangement and maybe some Labour MPs voted in favour of it, but he could still claim, look, I'm pure, I didn't vote for this, and then he could therefore criticise the government over the next two years. The other possibility, of course, is that Theresa May tries to call that bluff by giving Jeremy Corbyn what he wants. So on paper, Corbyn wants a permanent customs union with the EU in which the UK has a say. And he also wants a strong relationship with the single market. Now, both of those are quite hard to deliver because they're either unprecedented or a bit woolly, depending on where you sit. But it's possible that the government could offer something. They could offer a permanent customs union, for example, and that would make it harder for Corbyn to oppose. But I think he'd still find reasons to do that. And then his strategy would be to let the deal through, but to not have responsibility for it. Do you think his own party will allow him to do that? The Labour Party is in different factions at the moment. This morning, we saw Labour MPs come out for a second referendum. So I think 71 MPs signed up. That's a third, nearly, of the parliamentary party committed to a so-called people's vote. Then you have another group which would like uh, Norway Plus, that's staying in the single market and the customs union. And they're a small group of Brexiters. And then there are quite a lot of MPs in the Labour Party who would be influenced by what Jeremy Corbyn does. And that's because they represent leave seats. They don't want to be seen as going against the referendum result, but neither do they really want to take responsibility for what looks like a pretty poor deal to them. So I think Labour so far has only moved when public opinion has moved a step ahead of it. So it doesn't want to look like it's an elite party trying to undo the results of the referendum. It wants to look like it's moving the way that people want it to move. And I think that will guide its views from now on. But there is clearly a division at the top of the Labour Party between Jeremy Corbyn, who's a natural Eurosceptic, and, say, Keir Starmer, the Brexit Secretary, who's much more Europhile and has talked up the prospects of a second referendum much more. Widening it out a bit, what of the Remainers and those calling for a second referendum across parties? Are they a cohesive group and will this give them more momentum? I think certainly there's a strong group of MPs from all sides who would like a second referendum. There's probably a dozen or more Tory MPs, so Dominic Grieve, Sarah Wollaston, Anna Soubry, all of the Scottish National Party, all of the Liberal Democrats and a third of the Labour Party. Now, the problem is that that group, although fairly cohesive and although it's been working together, it doesn't form a majority in Parliament, and so it would have to get more people on board. So the question is, could it do deals with other groups in Parliament, or could it be the last option standing, really, in order to win over support? And, you know, the natural allies of the second referendum group, perhaps, are the Norway Plus group. So that's Nick Bowles, former Conservative Minister, Stephen Kinnock, Labour MP, and you could just about see some form of alliance where maybe the Norway Plus model gets put to a referendum, for example, so it gives both groups a little bit of what they want. But I think the main strategy for the second referendum campaigners is to wait for other options to fail. So you'll notice that 
in Tuesday's vote, there wasn't a strong amendment calling for a second referendum. They didn't want to do it then. They didn't want to make a parliamentary push for their so-called people's vote then. They wanted to wait for Theresa May's deal to fail, and now they'll wait for her plan B to fail, potentially wait for Norway Plus to fail, and then they'll say, look, Parliament hasn't got any other ideas. The only thing we can do is put leave and remain to the people. So all of this makes it look as though the UK won't be leaving the EU on March 29th. The deadline was always really tight. It was really tight even if Theresa May's deal had gone through Parliament as she hoped in December because there's so much legislation that needs to be passed. There's an immigration bill, agricultural bill, fisheries bill, trade bill and there are lots of ministerial decisions that have to be taken that don't get that much scrutiny from Parliament but get a little bit. So even in the best case scenario, Parliament was in real trouble and there are sort of less than 50 sitting days between now and March 29th. And I think the vote was delayed from December and has now been defeated and there's no clear plan B. All of this makes people think March 29th is no longer the date. Philip Hammond, the Chancellor, told business groups last night that he was open to an extension. Greg Clark, the business secretary, is also, I think, clearly in favour of that. And that may be the next move from pro-EU MPs to try and push back that date. And the significance of pushing back that date is that it takes no deal, a no-deal Brexit. If not off the table, then it makes it much less likely. So the whole strategy of the really hardline Eurosceptics is there's a firm date in law which is March 29th, after which we leave, and we leave with a deal or without a deal, and to them, leaving without a deal is fine. But if you push that date back, then it gives Parliament much more time to potentially come to a compromise and hold talks with the EU, hold talks with itself. The EU, I think, is clearly open to a delay too, although what it would like to see, I'm sure, is some clear idea of when Britain will actually come up with a proposal. So you don't want to delay for a delay's sake. And there is this issue also of the European Parliament elections, which are in May, and then new MEPs take up their seats shortly after that. So Kiva Hofstadt from the European Parliament sort of said it's unthinkable that Britain would delay Article 50 beyond July because of this complication with the European Parliament. If a fudge can be found on that, then really I think you could see Article 50 potentially delayed until the end of the year, for example. So what's your feeling on Article 50? It gets a bit silly making predictions, but I think that Article 50 will be delayed seems a pretty safe one at the moment. That was Shona Jenkins talking to Henry Mance, our political correspondent in Westminster. We'll be back with another news feature tomorrow. In the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com offer. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Brien, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. Enjoy.